Hello and welcome to another Comedian's Interview for my blog, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 800 comedians and counting over the last 46 years. My guest today is the brilliant Mark Watson. Yes! Hello! How are you? All right, thanks Richard and uh, thank you for that enormous one-man welcome. <laughs> It's my pleasure. I'm so pleased to be chatting to you today because uh, you are one of my favourite comedians. I've been watching your act for the years and years and it just gets better and better as I, as I, as I watch it. Thank you. That 46 years is quite a stat, isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> my, my first ever gig was Les Dawson in 1977. And in, yeah, and in the same year I saw Tommy Cooper. So oh, that's, that's yeah. Before I was born, in both cases, not that. <laughs> right. Anyway, never mind that. Let's let's go on to your comedy career, and uh, we'll go right back to the start. And please, can you tell me how did you become a comedian in the first place? Well, um, yeah, I've been asked this a few times, and I've never really answered it satisfactorily because it wasn't a plan, really, or anything that I did on purpose. I. Um, I did sort of sketches and stuff like that at university and I'd done public speaking and debating and that sort of thing um, at school and uh, I mean the way I did get into doing a first gig was quite strange uh, there was a um, jongler's night like a night of professional comics came to town right and they were meant to be on our college and somebody pulled out one of the comedians pulled out a couple of nights before and just because I was known to have done. I really was a very small amount of sketch comedy at the time. Um, the the ends, the organizer, the, like this student panicking, trying to find another comic, uh, asked me if I wanted to do sort of a, a, a ten minute slot. I've never done stand up before at all, but I knew it was sort of obviously the definition of a home crowd because um, they'd all be. So my set was all just jokes about uh, the college, as far as I can remember. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but it was a real kind of. And I think if it had gone badly, almost certainly I'd never have gone back to it because those wow. first few gigs were incredibly, um, incredibly vulnerable. But as it happens, that very first gig was in front of, um, if not friends, at least kind of peers, and yeah. also had the advantage of c coming in as a hero because it's like someone's dropped out, but um, this guy from your very own corridor has stepped in, so I couldn't really lose. <laughs> That game. He gave me a big head start in terms of uh, confidence, and so that went really well. Obviously, in the circumstances, um, and uh, that was enough to give me the taste of thinking being on your own on stage is, is quite exciting. What sort of year are we talking here then? Uh, this is two thousand and one, I think, right. and my final year at university. And the following year, two thousand two, I entered uh, open mic competitions and that sort of thing. Right. Um, so, when you started, were you doing like five-minute spots in pubs to gain experience and inviting friends along? Yeah, I think it's almost the only way you can do it. Well, yeah. and well, no, I was doing I was doing five minutes in pubs and clubs and stuff like that. But I was generally not inviting friends along very much because I tried to, you know, when you don't know if it's going to work out, I, I try to keep it as secret as possible. These days, there's a real culture of. Um, you know, you can only get on the bill if you bring a friend and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Bring yeah. a gig, as they're called. But that never happened in my day. And if it had, 
I would have really struggled to establish myself because I would have found it very embarrassing to ask people to come along. I wouldn't know if it'd be good or if they'd have a good time. So I basically did it on the quiet, a lot of it. I mean, my, my then partner knew I was doing it, and, but I didn't tell many people that I was doing any sort of comedy until it got to the point where I thought it was going all right, at least. Right. And I didn't tell my parents or anything like that for some time after that. I uh, I am normally the friend for a lot of comedians who are just <laughs> starting out because apparently they tell me I've got a loud laugh and and uh, so I so I go go along and genuinely laugh if they are very good and be very polite and laugh if they're not. But um, uh, um, you are yeah. mentor in to one in particular to my friend Vix Layton who I first saw at. Um, a, 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 I first saw her at Birdie's a comedy club doing five minutes there and I've watched her develop quite a bit she, I, I think she's one of the best new comedians did you have a mentor when you started out? well no the honest answer is not, not really and also it, it's been sort of quite generous to say that I'm, I'm a mentor to her what I did do was give her the opportunity to be in my 24 hour show uh, <laughs> <laughs> her first ever gig which is not something that uh, not an opportunity that I had in my time no. right. I actually I didn't really have a figure at all in my because um, I, I wasn't coming from a, a backdrop of knowing um, much about comedy at all I, I, I came into it by uh, you know I, I did well in a couple of competitions and stuff like that um, so when I was starting out I, I, I was fortunate to get kind of support slots for people like Lee Mack and Dara Bray and, right. and you know, I was on with some very good people who I learned a lot from. But there was no, there was not one figure that uh, told me this is what you do, uh, this is how you go about it. Because, and, and I, I do think I've said this before, but I think that these days comedians are much more like uh, young up and coming comedians are much more strategic in this way. They, they are they do have someone advising them they know or at least some of them they know what the clubs are and the gigs and there's a career path now that's established in my time uh that wasn't really certainly for me there wasn't a culture i was making it up as i went along basically wow. and i just cobbled together what i could work out of the circuit by coming down to london doing gigs um and uh, you know i wasn't even trying to uh network officially or you know make contacts i just literally took all the advice i could every time i went to a gig and did a, um if someone said that went well you were good or whatever i would just say right um what the hell do i do next <laughs> and <laughs> literally just i just grew, you know again this would be different now because you'd have chalk yeah, well, yeah. to be fair but there wasn't this is of the internet culture wasn't the same so now you, you probably can work out quite quickly what the lie of the land is with comedy and what you should be doing plus you can at the, at the press of a button you can uh, watch as much stand-up as you want but I was just coming through in a period where it was the cusp of all this so you, you were still you could watch stand-up you could find out information but you're still buying a magazine or yeah, you know, buying yeah. a DVD it was a very analogue world compared with what we've got now what I what I like about you as a comedian and your act is your passion for the craft. Um, uh, you're you're very very supportive 
of other comics and whenever I've seen you on stage you're always very enthusiastic and determined to make the audience laugh which is a great quality to have I think well I certainly do like to encourage a sense of community I like to encourage other comedians because um, I feel like we're all in it together in a way and one person being successful doesn't have to diminish you I say that a lot you know it's, it's easy when you're young as a comedian to look on everyone as a threat and compare yourself to other people and why is he doing this and she doing that and it, at my sort of age you start thinking well it's alright like everyone else will get where they're going to go regardless and, and none of that really impacts on you as much as you think and in terms of the audience you're right as well I feel like um, you you know you, you kind of uh, you can either approach it as a as a, a kind of fight, as a battle of wits with an audience, or what I prefer to do is just see them as potential friends. And you know, that's not to say I won't police it and put people in the place if I have to. Have, I have had to do that plenty of times with gigs. But, but my starting point is always it would be good if everyone, all the acts had a good gig and all the audience had a good time. And that yeah. doesn't seem impossible because we're all in that room wanting it to go well. Yeah, so it yeah. doesn't have to turn into a fight, you know. It, it can do for loads of reasons, but if you can see it as just, you know, some comedians, almost their starting point is that they've got to battle against the crowd. And that's understandable because those are the conditions that a lot of us learn our trade in. But it doesn't need to be like that always, not as you go on further into your career. I can I can never understand why folk go um, not to enjoy a comedy night. I mm-hmm. I I absolutely love to go. I'm very 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 um, enthusiastic about going, and we're we're not here to hear uh, heckling or anything like that. We're here to hear what the comedian has to say, and it's 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 a it's a very good sounding board as well as a funny night to listen to what they have to come across to an audience. Yeah, I mean, you know, no one really knows what motivates... Uh, well, I suppose there are some things that are obvious. Some people are j- just obviously drunk and they, they want to be involved, and that's we've all seen that. Yeah. Um, some people, I think often, especially men, do get kind of slightly threatened by not being the centre of attention, or there's a particular type of guy that thinks, oh, I, w- I want to do this guy down. Um and then there's also a culture of just like uh, well, I, because people have heard the stand-up has heckling and there's a blood sport and there's you know some people want to live up to that they're, they're coming out thinking oh I hope there's a bit of heckling I hope there's a bit of argy-bargy and that, that mentality was very much the case in the 90s and you know when I was starting out even there was this some people were showing up because they wanted uh, it to turn not even nasty but they, they looked forward to the yeah, yeah, yeah. The cut rust, if you, the, you know, I can see that because there is something fun about watching a performer kind of um, do battle with an audience, battle of wits in that way. But for me, it was never about that. And I, I like the fact that I live in a climate where um, stand up is a bit less gladiatorial because I think there's enough fighting, there's enough of that in, in life, really. Very much so, I totally agree. I, ideally, people are coming to a comedy show to get away from yeah. Exactly. The stress and strain of life, not to have a new set of stresses put on them. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, before you go on stage, do you suffer from any nerves at all? And if so, how do you cope with them? Well, yeah. I mean, when I was earlier on, especially when I used to do telly and stuff, and it was very early days for me, I, I definitely found it very nerve-wracking. And... Um, 
these days, I mean, there's still nerves there. I, I sort of feel like if you didn't have that at all, there'd be something odd about it. Um, I wouldn't want to be someone that was doing it disproportionate, uh, dispassionately. I, I wouldn't want to feel like I wasn't emotionally nervous. So I'm happy with, with some nerves, you know. I mean, the difference is that as you get older, I think you, you learn, like with anything, like with sport or any form of performance or anything, I think you just learn how to incorporate those into your performance. So, you know, yeah, yeah. if I'm nervous, I... And also, there's, I mean, there's nervous in a good way is like ready to perform, nervous energy fizzing through you, uh, adrenaline, you're pumped, you want, that's good, I think, that's a good mentality for performance. Nerves where you're throwing up before you go on stage and you, you're worried about it all day, that's probably bad and you do need to progress beyond that as a live performer. But the sort of nerves that, it's not, nerves is not even quite the right word, the sort of nervous anticipation that I feel now is almost purely positive because it just gets me kind of pumped to do it and, yeah, yeah. and the audience senses that energy um, yeah I think what's different is as you get older and more experienced you learn how to feel those nerves as a sort of motivating force and you incorporate it and, and also you have that um, bedrock of experience so you can say to yourself well I know I'm, I'm, I'm good enough I've done this before it's worked before um so I've got various things I can do. They might like it or they might not, but I know that I have entertained people successfully before. Whereas when you're starting out, those first couple of years, um, if the crowd isn't immediately into it, you, you haven't built up that reservoir of confidence. So you're just there thinking, you feel at the mercy of the audience. But if, if you're my sort of age, and you, never, you don't really feel at the mercy of the audience. You still know they're unpredictable. They might not like you. They might do anything. But you know you have got the goods in some way. You must have to have been going yeah, this long. Yeah. So, so your mentality is more, well, I'll do my best here and you can take it or leave it. But I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I always go out, all out to please a crowd. But if I don't please them, I, I just I don't take it personally as I used to maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the, the reason why I asked the question was... Um, other than this blog, the most creative thing I've ever done was um, I've, I've written a script uh, which initially was for the Edinburgh Fringe. It was a half hour play. It's called The Applicant and me and my friend put it on stage and we raised a lot of money for Comet Relief. This was not in Edinburgh, this was in London. And the play's basically about, it's basically about me who um, comes down from Carlisle to London, has a very successful girlfriend, but, but I, can't get, I can't get a job. I have a series of interviews. And each um, scene was, um, the first scene was me in the waiting room and then it was the interview and, and it built up. And as I ran out, I was very nervous and I started talking to the crowd. And, and so I wrote, I wrote these great long monologues to try and set the scene of the play. And I ran out uh, on the first day I did it and I forgot it. <laughs> yeah. So it was, <laughs> I was like a rabbit in headlights and I thought, I don't know whether I could do this again, but, but we did three of them and it got better as it went along. So... What I'm trying to say is, you all of you have got my utmost um, uh, praise for going out there and doing it because it's it it must be the best feeling in the world, obviously to get laughs, but to to co take control of a room uh, uh, and and get bigger laughs must be amazing. Well, it is. Um, yeah. I suppose. Uh 
the difference between stand-up and anything, any sort of acting or being a play or you know, yeah. dramatic, all that stuff is that obviously, as a stand-up, you can be thinking on your feet a bit and and be no one knows exactly what you're trying to do so you can dry up to some extent and you're still fine I, i've always thought that is you know i find it much uh, scarier to do an actual uh, a play a proper big play with a part to learn yeah, because yeah if 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 you go dry uh, blank there you are in trouble one of the blessings <laughs> and of i you was and you were yeah and that's like you know in the same way that people look at stand-ups and say, oh, I could, I, I could do that. I, I often look at people doing enormous, substantial stage parts and think, I, 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 I wouldn't fancy doing that. Because there's no real... You've either got the lines in there or you haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's it's, one of the things that attracted me to stand-up, really, that it isn't acting. It, it's, it's not even sketch acting. It's a live event, and you live or die by how well things are going in the moment. So if the stuff that you prepared isn't working or you can remember it or whatever, there is still always the option of a, of a, a plan B where you can still get out of jail. You know, it's about, I think just temperamentally, I'd rather be relying on my, on my wits in the moment yeah. than trying to learn and recite a great long thing. <laughs> and also, in plays, uh, you are you're so responsible to the other cast, of course. Like, if you mess it up in a play, then six people that are in trouble or... Um, I've always liked it about stand-up that if it goes well the praise is yours and if it goes badly it's yours alone but either way you haven't let anyone else down you've just, you know it's it's it yeah 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 can be quite a lonely feeling but I, I think I'd rather uh, you know I'd, I'd rather take it on my own and, and, and feel self-reliant in that way rather than have a director in the room that's like you know this is my work it's the uh, production manager's work is this with a play there's about 25 people riding on me and that's too much for me if I have a bad gig it's really um, the audience may be a bit disappointed but it's only really me that, that gets yeah. hurt and I think I prefer it that way <laughs> um, how do you remember all your routines do you, do you have a way of remembering them do you do well, you uh, what I tend to do is um I mean, if I'm doing a show, like a, a full-length festival show or something, I'll tend to uh, try to construct it in a way where one thing leads on from another. So there's a, there's a logic to it. So you think, oh, I'm talking about dogs. Must be time for this bit about whatever, cats. I'm <laughs> caricaturing my a bit here. <laughs> um, but also, I'm sort of fortunate that my style, again, is quite rambling. And so it lends itself to telling a story with a bit of room around it. So, you know... You've still got to hit the punchlines. You've got to be funny, and there's a precision to it, to the task. But if I lose my way or say something wrong, or you know, the, the, then people kind of expect me to do that and circle back to it. I think it again. The people, the comedians I look at and think, "How are you doing that?" Are the ones where it's one-liners and there's you know four dozen of them in a row, and if you don't remember word for word every one of those like you, then you, you, I suppose you can skip between them and stuff like that but that that I would find difficult one of the yeah one of the reasons that it works for me again is that I do have my routines I've got and if I'm doing a proper theatre show or Edinburgh Fringe or whatever trying to deliver pretty much the same show night on night but I also know that I don't have to do that whereas if your thing is gags uh, then well you can still change the show but you, you've got to hit so many points with yeah, such yeah. so basically I've engineered the style of comedy where 
I can be quite unprofessional and it can still be it can still work <laughs> I, d- I I uh I don't agree with you being unprofessional. I think you're very professional. Well, I'm probably doing myself down a bit. But I, I, I do. I have a style which lends yes, itself yeah. going all over the place a bit, and, yeah. and people. And then most of the comedians I like are. Um, I mean, nothing wrong with. Uh, with that kind of well, there's loads of comedians I like, like Gary Delaney, Tim Vine. Yeah, uh, yeah. You yeah. do short form, just gag, gag, guys, and I really admire it. But most of the comedians, I, I actually Milton's one of my favourites in particular. But most of the comedians that are my uh, the ones that I really enjoy watching most are people who appear to just go off and you, especially watching it as a comedian, you're aware that there's a plan and that there's points they're going to get back yes, to. Yeah, yeah. But you're yeah. still you're swept along in the ride. You can't tell. 100% if they know what the hell is, is happening. <laughs> I, I relish that. I, lo- I love that as well, you know, because it's also very original. You don't know what's coming next. And then when yeah. they the, when they link it all together, it's 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 just hilarious. It's really good. Um, you won uh, the, the Daily Telegraph Open Mic competition in 2002 and, your f- and the first ever panel prize for the If Comedies in 2006. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, um, uh, describe the experience of entering a competition. Do you think competitions are good? Uh, well, what's your view of them? Obviously, for me, it was pretty good at the time. I had very little experience or knowledge of the of the game, and winning a competition, the Telegraph one, um, did open open the doors for me to do a lot. Of, well, not actually. I was going to say a lot of stuff. It, it what it gave me was a, a small springboard into the world of comedy and the opportunity to say, "Can I have a gig at your club or stuff like that?" It was actually quite small scale. I think one of the things that uh, people misunderstand about competitions is there is this feeling that if you win it you're going to be a global star the next day and if you don't win then you've, you're screwed <laughs> and actually they're less important than they feel at the time I think and, but, but I'm not opposed to them as a, as a principal I've done quite a lot of hosting and judging and stuff of competitions and I think that they're a really useful way of encouraging you to hone your five minutes and or however long it is um, practice your I like they're, they're very good for focusing I think competitions because you've got to have an act that's good Yeah. but they should not be seen as you certainly shouldn't get discouraged if you don't win them nor should you get cocky if you do because some people's acts just lend themselves very well to competitions I've seen lots of people win again I've hosted quite a lot of them the BBC one the Chortle one both of those a number of years running and I've seen quite a few people win competitions who uh, the act is great. The five minutes is great, but you're watching it thinking, "Yeah, but what? What now?" <laughs> the, the whole act is just like you know, yeah. you've got a block and it's full of cheese, or it's like really, really funny. But you know, it can't be scaled up to. A, whereas, I've also seen people who are much more of a conventional comic, and and that's not to say it's not good to be unconventional. I'm just saying that often competitions are won by the most memorable or weird act. Yeah, yeah. It just lands in the moment. And people can sometimes get overlooked if they just do a pretty decent job. But yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, I've seen people walk away discouraged from not even the finals, the heats, the semis. But I've thought to myself, and I try to say to them, actually, though, you're going to be fine because 
you are really good at the nuts and bolts of it. It's just you've been beaten by this guy that came on dressed as a dolphin because in a five minute setting, of course, that's what people want. <laughs> so I think competitions <laughs> are useful, good discipline. You learn a lot from them, but they can be, they can give you an illusion, both positive and negative, of where you're at. They matter less than they feel as if they will. Yeah. And they, they reward weirdness, which is good because hopefully comedy rewards weirdness, but. You know, me, even one-on-one, my one, I had a great five minutes. I had a very good competition five, and I, I did well in a number of competitions. But that was all I had. I had five minutes and one <laughs> second of material, and the one second was playing with the crowd. So when I had to start doing tens and then quite quickly twenties in clubs. Yeah. was not prepared for it. So that's the other thing. It's good to have a set which really flies in competitions, but you don't want to get so good at that set that you don't make progress, you don't develop anything else. minutes you can with 20 opens yeah. up for you in comedy but some people never get to that stage because they've got a very short set which is brilliant and they just will they'll never leave it they'll never go beyond that comfort zone what um at uh, what point this is this is not um listed on the question sheet that i've got but i wanted to ask you was was there a point where um you thought, uh, this is my career, I can do this, I think I can do this well. Well, um, it's very odd looking back to try and work out. Yeah. It's hard to make sense of things in, in retrospect, but I think the answer is maybe, uh, well, when I did my first Edinburgh, my first solo Edinburgh show, it was 2005, and um, some sort of three years, three solid years of, of touring clubs, and, uh, you know, in those clubs, in those gigs, there's never that much validation because even if you storm it no one really knows who you are they might come up to you after and say oh I'll look you up but you don't really have a presence you're just a, a guy that did a good you know the audience go home they forget maybe um, whereas that first time I did Edinburgh I'm selling tickets uh, people queuing to, they've bought tickets to watch you specifically there are posters with your name on you're getting reviewed I think that was it I think that first Edinburgh which went well for me because I put a lot of work into the show and yeah. I think that was when I started to think well okay there is a world in which this can be a thing that I actually that I do. Um, and then the following year, I went to Melbourne as a result of that Edinburgh show. And again, it's an you're, you're in a different country and people are paying to watch you. And yeah. um, so I think it was that. I think comedy festivals gave me that because as long as you're a club comic, you can be very good at it, but you are quite disposable. There's, you know, another guy comes on and another girl or woman comes on, everyone's good. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's a, again, I'm not doing that, Dan. There's a, there's a, it's a real important craft of being a club comic. But for me, when I felt like I I have a a place in this in this kind of firm in this scheme of things was when I had a festival show and and could say this is my show. There might only be thirty people, but they they've deliberately come to see me. Was your first Edinburgh Fringe in? Um what what year was was your first fringe? Um, that was two thousand and five, um, and uh, then well, I had done. I had already been to fringe a couple of years, but I'd, I'd done uh, the twenty four hour show that I did for the first time was two thousand four, 
and even before that I had done a couple of years apprenticeship that's one of the reasons why I have the relationship I do with the Fringe because I've been going as a fan even before as a comedian but 05 was my first proper year there wow. and 2006 was as in solo show yeah um, yeah so I've done I mean well it would have been 20 years it is 20 years consecutive Edinburgh's um, and and last year had it taken place would have been the okay, 21st yeah um, it, that's the same year I first went to Edinburgh, 2005. Right, yeah. And, and um, I, I thought to myself, uh, if I go here, um, I know I want to go there, but I will go for the rest of my life because I, 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 I know I'm going to love it. And when I stepped off the train at the Haymarket, uh, not the Haymarket, at uh, Waverley, um, uh, the atmosphere just hit you and I thought this is incredible and I've been going every year since up until yeah. of course last year and and it's my holiday it's, I, I, I go for a week norm, normally the middle week and I see about 50 shows in a week I'm absolutely shattered by the time I come back <laughs> yeah. but it's the most incredible thing and um, uh, let me just um, I hope you don't mind, but I want to um, just let you know how many shows I've seen by you. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I've seen your imaginatively titled solo shows, okay? I'm worried that I'm starting to hate almost everything in the world in 2006. Yeah. Uh, do I know you in 2010, the information in 2012, flaws in 2014, you can almost win in 2018, and I appreciate you coming to this, and let's hope for the best in 2019, all at the Edinburgh Fringe. The last one in particular, you did some of your set in the audience, which was incredible. You actually went into the audience and started chatting to them at the start. Yes, I've done that once or twice in the time. The reason I, call, I appreciate you coming to this, and let's hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> those sort of work-in-progress type shows, I do have a... A culture of basically trying to give them the most defeatist titles possible, lowering <laughs> people's expectations. Yeah. <laughs> when I when I um, plan the fringe, that my my friends who I go along with, I always do a little spreadsheet, and it's always very meticulous and everything. And uh, um, wh whenever your name is 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 at Edinburgh, I always make a point of seeing you because 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 you are the what I what I love about your shows is that there's always a point to them. You're very intelligent as well as very funny with with your views, and it, the audience are really made to listen to what you have to say, which is half of it, I think. Yeah, I, I think one, a nice thing about the the Edinburgh format or any festival format is that you, you do have a, a bit longer with an audience you've yeah. got that hour. you don't have to be banging jokes through the whole time you, I still try and maintain as high a hit rate as I can but there is also an understanding that um, th that you're going to develop stuff that you're going to chat a bit that there, there's there's kind of elbow room in a one hour show you know um, and that's that's why comedians like me are drawn to the fringe I think because uh, you can get as good as you want as a club comic, but you're doing 20, 30 minute, maybe headline so even more. But you still haven't got the relationship with the audience that you have over one hour. And that's why for someone like me, um, the the festival format is really valuable. Yeah, because yeah. you've got a relationship with an audience which goes that bit deeper and you can still be as funny as you want, but you do have the, you have the opportunity to chat about more substantial stuff as well. Yeah. Um, 
from the shows that I've listed, uh, can you tell me about your writing process and where you get your ideas from for, for creating a new show? Well, like most stand-ups, I think the the, uh, the ideas come from just being on your feet, going around, observing stuff and trying to work out how to talk about them. Um, and the way I write is not that structured. A lot of people, it's weird, really, because I, you know, I do write books and stuff and, and there are um, areas in my life in which I'm quite methodical about writing. But stand-up itself isn't really one of them. I tend to develop shows by just doing working progresses like the one you saw in, in the Fringe um, yeah. basically putting the show on its feet as much as I can and finding out where the funny stuff is kind of as I go along uh, which is a you know it's a time consuming way to do it obviously and it involves a certain amount of trial and error but that for me is the only real method that I appreciate for me it's the only way that I feel like I know what I'm doing I, because if I were to write a huge volume of stuff I could write as much stuff as I wanted on paper but I wouldn't be confident that any of it was funny um until it's past that test of being in front of an audience so it's only then really that you know and then that's why yeah a lot of what I'd call my writing process isn't really writing it's about um, I mean it is writing but it's about extemporising it's about being in front of an audience and feeling the show to come together in that moment I think live as it were so you're you're also very good at bantering with an audience this is what you're trying to say it's like if you I, I, i'm guessing but but if you get the audience on your side because you're chatting to them at the start you can then say really whatever you like because they're on your side and you're away with 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 the the theme of your show yeah i think that's right i, I certainly try to establish as much trust with an audience as i can yeah. as little as i can so that then as you say, you can take them wherever you want them. And that's why, again, for me, it would never work to go out and be on the front foot attacking the audience because ultimately, especially with the festival show, I want them to come with me in whatever direction I want to go in. So it yeah. makes sense for all of us to be yeah. in that complicity from the start, if I can. And again, some gigs aren't like that. Some audiences, you just got to get, get at them. But if I can, um, and the majority of festival shows are like this, I, I will always try and... Um, I'll always try and make it uh, create an atmosphere where people feel like I'm going to have a good time. It won't be at my own expense, mostly, and everyone here wants the same thing. If you can establish that in the first few minutes, then, like you say, the audience are on your side and they're going to want to go into have fun with you, which is what it's all about. You yeah, think? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of your greatest ideas was your 24-hour marathon shows, which have become infamous at the Fringe and also online as well. Can you tell me how they came about? Well, when I first went to Edinburgh, uh, as we've said, uh, you know, it is a quite unique atmosphere. And one of the things that I, I really responded to there was um, this sense, as you say, that there's a real buzz about everything yeah. and you can kind of do whatever you want there. There's a place where you are encouraged to experiment as a comedian. And and so I um, joined that, mentally joined in with that process. And I, I basically, I just, I thought, I had the idea, it was a stupid idea, um, uh, kind of what felt like on the verge of being an un an untenable idea which is could you do a show for 24 hours at this point I had no, no material I hadn't been doing you know I had like 20 minutes it wasn't about that it was like could I or, or could someone create an event 
which went for that long and which was a festival talking point. No, actually, I wasn't even thinking in terms of talking point. I had no idea whether anyone would do it or not. It was as simple as thinking in a festival like this that's famed for experimentation, it would be it would be a great place to try and do something mad like a 24 hour yeah, show. Yeah. And to my knowledge, no one has done that, so why don't I try and do that? And it didn't get, it wasn't much more sophisticated than that, really. And then it became a big thing and it, it became a tradition and all this. But, but the starting point was just this would be a cool idea. No one seems to be doing it. Uh, why don't I try and do it? And that is that same spirit has inspired a lot of the best stuff in Edinburgh, I think. You see a you see an idea, you almost get paranoid that someone else must have done it, you find out they haven't, and you think, right, well before they do, uh, I'll do it. Let me yeah. Let let me have a go and do it. And by God it's a success because the online ones as well, you you've done two uh, what's a th- what's on a thons and there's one more coming up in May, the May Bank holiday, is that right? Uh, well, it's sooner than that. In fact, it's this weekend. Oh, it's uh, this coming weekend, the Easter weekend, right? The Easter weekend because it's for Melbourne Festival, yeah. Right. Yeah, the, online is a different way of doing it. It's obviously slightly more. Well, it's, you don't get the instant response of an audience, but I've enjoyed doing it online because, in a lot of ways, these shows are about um, about community and yeah. um, and so in a way, this is the perfect forum for it, really, because far more people can get involved online than they ever would have done. Yeah. You know, festival yeah well you're doing a great thing my friend because uh, I've, I've i've thoroughly enjoyed watching them online and as 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 well as edinburgh um you're also a brilliant novelist uh what inspired you to write a book um well that was probably what i wanted before i was a comedian really as a kid i was always about writing i saw myself as you know a future author and those ambitions have been much more low-key over the years because comedy, you do get recognition quite quickly and we well, can at least, you know, whereas books go under the radar. And so I've just been quietly chipping away at that for a long time. And, you know, the profile that I've been lucky enough to get as a comedian partly paves the way for me to be able to write books and stuff like that. Um, but I see them both as, as, you know, as half of what I do, really. It's never been about, you know, some comedians do just kind of, branch off sideways into writing books because they feel like it's about time I gave that a go I've always been more I've always writing books has always been quite to the fore in terms of what I wanted to do right well um, this this blog was originally a book um, uh, but uh, I couldn't afford the publishing rights so so I thought turn it into a blog and and for me I think a blog is much more immediate so so you can branch out and do a lot of things but I'd still like to get this published at some point um, because uh, to have to have your name in print it means that you're you you you, you've left something behind for future generations and you know at that point in your life and everything I think it's fascinating it's a nice feeling definitely you know stand up does come and go a bit I suppose and those nights in clubs and all those things are, it is slightly ephemeral it, it, it's you know you're chasing the last all this sort of thing so there is a definite satisfaction in holding something in your hands and saying oh, I, I wrote this I've made a thing like that. yeah it's yeah. great it's really good um, this past 18 months or however long it, it's been has been awful really horrible times obviously um, how have you found online gigs as opposed to live stand-up you've you, you've seemed to embrace online shows with your um, um 24-hour marathons but um do you prefer online to live stand-up 
No, I wouldn't say I prefer it, but I do think that it's been more fun than than some people thought, including me. No one knew what it was going to be like when yeah. we started doing on Zoom and all the rest of it. And um, I, I've, I've, you know, and some people have never gone back to it. They basically maintain that it's just not the same and it doesn't work. I found it definitely can work and I've done lots of stuff that I think you know hopefully proves that and I've seen lots of other people do it successfully but what you do miss is the sense of community I suppose again the physical well not physical contact I'm not normally <laughs> grabbing <laughs> that. not Jason Byrne but like, <laughs> the, um, the, the sense that you've all converged on one building and the atmosphere that like kind of taut atmosphere that you get waiting for the comedians to come yeah. on and all that the proximity to the front row the things that make live performance really exciting are absent from this so I definitely miss that like I think every live comedian working out there but I do take comfort from the fact that when I'm doing a live show on Zoom or something there might be a couple of hundred people some of them would never have got to a, an in yeah. real live show the chat box in it builds community there are certain advantages I'd never go so far as to say that I prefer it but I do think um, that we've or at least those of us that have done this sort of gig have learned lessons about how it's still possible to create that atmosphere and, and that's got to be better than nothing especially because like I say some people can't get to live gigs regularly in the real world so you know that audience is out of there and you might as well do your best to meet them halfway I totally agree with you because um, for me uh, I, uh, if I didn't have live com if I didn't have online comedy I don't know how I'd have got through lockdown I, th I think I think it's a brilliant substitution but I so miss going to a live gig. Um, when when the online comedy started, there, w there was no audio, hardly any audio. So I would just sit here laughing at four walls, and I thought I was going to be taken away. But yeah. um, uh, but but once um, the the audio started uh, opening up, and there was a little front row, the the they were doing their best to. Yeah, um, the to to try and get the atmosphere, but you can't get it. You, you, um, you can't beat live for me. Um, the the um, the very fact of going to the pub, having a few drinks with your friends, and then going to a comedy show, as you say, it just takes. You're there in the moment. Those group of people in that room, and anything can happen, and that's the wonderful thing about it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and obviously very much looking forward to, to getting back to that. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. Have Have you done any gigs? Um, uh, have you done the outdoor gigs? You did a few, didn't you? The, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, my company put on some driving gigs in the summer, and yeah. I did various other ones like that. And again, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for it. You're still all sharing an experience. You're still in this live environment. It's exciting. Yeah. Um, once again, there are things you miss. You can't replace the feeling of being under a low roof you know, or in a basement or those rooms that really lend themselves to comedy, the proximity with other people and that atmosphere. You don't get that in a field. But again, if that's all you've got, you can make it work. You can make it atmospheric. And again, I think that's been one of the lessons of uh, this whole year and a bit is yeah. that if you have to, you can make comedy happen in, in any way, in any circumstances. It's just some of them are definitely much more desirable than others, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, I'm hoping it's going to come back very, very soon. I'm sure oh, it will. Oh, yeah. Um, who are your favourite comedians, past and present? Do you have many? Do you have any? Do you um, look, look to well, them? I don't have loads of past because when I was growing up, there weren't many stand-ups on the TV. There wasn't a huge culture of it. And 
so, so the stuff that I was watching as a kid was like the, the, the Simpsons and the Fast show and it was sketch yeah. shows more um, there were very few stand-ups that I regarded as like people I looked up to not because I was any sort of arrogant or something but I just didn't know many stand-ups and, yeah. and, and then I came to it in my, in my 20s as I said I was watching people like Dara or Chris Addison Paul Foote yeah uh, Natalie Haynes I think oh Joe, yes yeah yeah. yeah. these are all people that I supported Lee Max and all the way and uh, um, so I served that kind of apprenticeship with them and um, and that's continued to be the case these days there's people like Tim Key obviously and brilliant you know a lot of the people that I admire most in comedy have been people that I've worked with or been been up close with and seen their craft and so it's not just about watching a, a DVD or listening to routines and stuff I've been lucky to often be on build with people that I think are amazing and, and so learned in, in the most direct way possible by actually watching what they do um, and like me uh, either before you were a comedian or when you were a comedian um, do you go do, do you go to a lot of comedy gigs as a member of the audience uh, well I don't go to many clubs and things these days but certainly in Edinburgh I will go to as much stuff as I can yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, like, I, mean, I probably wouldn't rack up 50 in a week or whatever you say <laughs> You know, no, that's I, just um, bonkers. <laughs> well, it is, but I do get the mentality because I'm always looking to see as many as I can. And over the course of the month of the Fringe, I will see a lot of stuff because I think it's important to see what other people are up to and get a sense of where the the comedy scene is. But also because um, I like it. I like that feeling. I like being in, you know inspired by younger people and newer. Yeah, yeah, models. of course. There's a great thing about the Fringe is that there are so many different approaches you'll see people that, are, that have just started out doing stuff that you never would have thought of yourself. So I, I like that. I think it's an important bit of The Fringe is um, learning from other people and being part of that. And I love that. When I'm up in Edinburgh, I'm not just looking, or any comedy festival, it's not just about doing my own show. I want to see what other people are doing and learn from that and just be entertained by them and be part of that whole community. Um, when when I you... Should, I, should, I probably should go in a set, not before too long, if that's all right. No, it's fine. It's fine. I, I was I was just gonna say we we are we are nearly done. Um, uh, I was I, I, I was just gonna say the reason why um, I asked those two questions is there's a section in my blog called the ones that got away, and there oh, yeah. and I've written twenty five comedians who um, have either passed on or I haven't had a chance to see. But for me. Um, of course, every one of them has a, has loads of memories, and it's it's really good to find out from the comedians who 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 the who their favourite ones are. Um, just before we go, and genuinely, I could talk to you all night. I've thoroughly enjoyed oh, this. Thank you. Um, is there anything else you would like to say? Is there, uh, where people can find you on social media? Have you got any online gigs coming up? Are you writing any more books? Well, the, the, yeah, the, the quickest answer is to look on um, Twitter and everything I do is there, basically, in some form. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, well, I mean, there will be more books. I'm doing a lot of online stuff still and then pretty soon I'll be um, doing, doing some more driving gigs and then eventually start actually touring again. And I say eventually, it's not all that far away. I'm putting shows on sale now for sort of September onwards. Um but yeah, follow me on, on Twitter or, or such like, or I've got a website, you'll you'll find me and I, I will basically stay very active. <laughs> you know, all of us are, have been so pent up for ages. We're all desperate. Oh, it's yeah. horrible, and isn't it? Like yeah, most really. comedians, I'm going to be... Um, I'm going to be very, very active as soon as the opportunities are there, which they nearly are now, hopefully, fingers crossed. 
Well, I'm going to be in the first in the queue to see you, my friend, because I think you're a great comedian and you made, you've made me laugh so much over the years. I just want to thank you so much for your time today, and I've thoroughly and I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Thanks very much, and let me know when it comes out, and I'll thank you very much. All the best to you, my friend. Cheers, Richard.